We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 279 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and with me again today is Emil Evanesian. How's it going, Emil? I'm good, Dan. Uh, you know, probably a little bit better than in recent weeks. <laughs> you know, we've got some got some positivity to to just beam over, so that's fantastic. Yeah, today it's good moods only, or at least good moods until the very last part of the show where we have to talk to finances. So it's generally <laughs> good moods only here on the show, on the podcast today. And we're talking all about the 4-2 win to kick off the Liga campaign. And Emil, I thought we could set the scene a bit, then go back and forth with our headlines, if you will. Sure. Uh, a little bit of what Frances and I did, even this is for the old school fans. For <laughs> we're talking 27, we're talking three, four <laughs> years old school fans will know La Bolsa. So I thought we'd maybe do a little bit of La Bolsa. <laughs> and that, I know La Bolsa is stock up, stock down, but it's kind of like the headlines of players <laughs> that we thought were basically impressive. So all these stocks in this case of La Bolsa are all going up. So before we get too far, the three stats are from friend of the show, Adil at Barca19 stats on Twitter. I ripped that from him. So he is worth the follow. I do give him credit, give him the follow on Twitter. So the last time that we also see dad got a point at the camp, no, I had said it all over Twitch and in the locker room and all that for the Barcelona Twitch channel. It was 1995. Kuman and Imanol, the manager of Real Sociedad, were both players at the time. <laughs> they last got a point. So there was a sense that, you know, maybe with the, the faces being the same, that it would happen again. But no, it was not. It was not meant to be because Real Sociedad lost all of their first 23 away Liga games against Barca from 1929 to 1961. So that, that was an interesting stat to me as well, that wow. they had not won a game at well, it wasn't just the Camp Nou, it was like court. It was wherever Barca had been playing from 1929 when the Liga started to 1961. They had never won. And then we also see that had lost all of their last 23 away league matches against Barca from 1996 to 2020. And that now includes the 21. 21. So yeah. now the streak is, is a new one, if you will, at 24. Oh, that's wild. Really interesting that we also see that started for, what is that, 32 years being terrible at, the, at the Barcelona's home. And now recently they've been terrible. And, you know, we think of Rasmus that as a much better team than that because of how good they are at home. I, yeah. And I mean, I think of them just generally just kind of, you know, as a lower half of the top 10 side, typically, you're never going to see them in a relegation fight. And, you know, kind of like on those odd years when things kind of work out well, you know, you can see them kind of pushing for, for Europa League or something like that. But 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a wild run. It kind of makes me wonder. I mean, I wonder if they've been awful against Espanyol, too. Is there just something about arriving in Barcelona that, you know, <laughs> that just doesn't jive with these guys? But, um, yeah, that is that's crazy. Actually, interestingly, the first two matches I ever went to at Camp Nou were home games against Real Sociedad. And uh, so it's actually good to know. I mean, that's good value if you want to uh, ensure seeing a Barca win. Yeah, I mean, I, I say those things, but the players don't care. Every single, no. single game is different to them. The other magic totally. was five. And I think it's a little bit of a talking point, as in five of the 22 players starting for Barca and Real Sociedad. They mm. also started for Spain in the Olympic gold medal game that happened just nine days ago. So that being Eric yeah. Garcia, Pedri for Barcelona, and then mm. Zuba Mendy, Mikel Moreno, mm. and Orizabal. And Orizabal mm. had also, along with Garcia and Pedri, had played in the Euros. So three mm-hmm. players had played in the Euros straight to the Olympics. And then Zubamendi and Marino also started in that Olympics gold medal final. Yeah. Over a week ago. So that tells me that both of these clubs are very reliant on their young players with the Olympics yep. 23. So on their young players and along with Eric Garcia also making debuts were Emerson, Nico Gonzalez, off those two off the bench. And Memphis obviously made his official Barcelona debut yesterday yep. as well. So, yeah, I mean, does it surprise you about not the rest thing, but... I know we keep talking about Pedri, but it seems like all teams that are relying on young talent who are at the Olympics or at Euros are kind of just playing through it. I mean, particularly the fact that Pedri's played in both of the summer tournaments and, you know, one of them was in Japan. You know? So it's he's traveled all over, you know, first all over Europe, then all over the world. And it it really is kind of interesting to me. I understand he's... He's young, he's fit, and you know, I mean, I guess you can kind of rely on the tropes of young and boundless energy and everything like that. But I mean, you have to figure at some point, this guy's just got to be tired, right? I mean, just, um, I mean, it obviously speaks to what Kuman feels his sort of the the depth situation is in in the midfield. Where, I mean, ideally, you'd like to give Pedri at least, you know, maybe the first the first couple couple matches of the season off, just let him get reacclimated and just you know, sort of lick his wounds and uh, and recharge his batteries a little bit. But the fact that we're not even doing that, you know, I mean, I think Kuman very much has a sense of, I think this three is his midfield three, as you know, when when all of them are upright and, and able to play, barring any suspensions or injuries. And I mean, I think he's very much just going to stick with that. And, you know, it'd be nice to sort of to dabble a little bit and, you know, maybe he wanted to give him the home home opener and maybe rest him against uh, Athletic Bilbao next week. We don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit, I don't know, problematic is the right word, but I would like to see him get a little bit of rest and not just sort of just, you know, wear the tread on the tires all the way down. I think on the case of Pedri and his rest and the depth, it's telling that it's a shame for the people who were out crying for Ricky Pooj to get minutes because it wasn't about Pooj so much yesterday as it was that there is worry that there's a lack of trust and depth in the midfield. And when mm-hmm. you do have Pooj sitting there, who seems to be able to complement many of the things that Pedri does. And I don't think anyone's arguing the fact that Pedri is a better player than Ricky Pooj. Just a matter of that for Pedri, even in the short term, as I've said before, he might actually not be tired. He might not actually need rest because he's mm-hmm. 18 and recovers very, very, very quickly. But yep. just like Ansu Fati, all of these young players, if they get one injury, it chops years off the end of their career. And so yep. we might see Pedri, and the example I keep seeing is Seth Fabregas, because Seth, Fa- Seth Fabregas, when he was 31 playing for Chelsea, he fell off a cliff 
And now he's what? Still 34 floating around Monaco, I believe. But yeah, he, he just, with all the minutes he had played, he debuted for Arsenal at what? 15 or 16. I think he was 16. Yeah. Something like that. Straight through all the way, Arsenal, all the way King captain to Barcelona. And that just burned him out. And, so I do find some comparisons. I know people won't be happy because they remember such Fabregas at Barca, but uh, he was a very, very, yeah. very good player for Arsenal, and he was a good player for Barca too. That's where I see the parallels in terms of that mm-hmm. just overloading a young player in that way, and it hurts them at the end of the, the career. And just like how Barca isn't worried about their finances in the under Bartomeu, they weren't worried about finances in the short term, uh, rather in the long term, they only cared about the short term. The same yep. thing's happening here with Pedri and his career, where we're you know very concerned with success in the short term so not even burn him out not even get him rest but he's he's recovering fine because he's 18 years old but these miles are going to add up there are certain thresholds in sports that when players play x number of first league or professional minutes then Mm -hmm. they start to struggle and that's what you're going to see so i would say you know put a pin in the pedri stuff i hope he gets rest sometime but yes if he continues to be uh, you know ground down like this like we saw fabregas at arsenal then you're going to have issues in quite a few years. And then for the rest of those young players too, it's the same thing that we have modern technology that's going to be able to you know, guide them through these times, get them rest, get them rotation. And on the point of Pooj, it's not about trying to find reasons as to why we need to agree with Kuman as to why he did not play. But it's rather that when push comes to shove, Ronald Kuman is trying to balance the fact that Barcelona desperately needed a victory. So he had to put only players that he unequivocally trusted on the field. And it seems like for another year, as he stated almost what, uh, yeah, the last summer he stated before he began really the job that he didn't truly trust Ricky Pouge. And that hasn't Mm -hmm. truly, truly changed. Now I've said, I thought he'd have a role and I'm not going to eat crow just yet. Emil, as you Mm -hmm. know, you know, I said that it was a certain minutes at the end of the season. It was a certain appearances at the end of the year. That was a threshold, but we're not off to a good start. It's over one. It's not about push success. As I said, it's just about finding minutes for everybody. And yes, it is worrying that he was not willing to put yes. Roberto came on, but the De young Roberto Busquets midfield is, I don't think one that Ronald Koeman is particularly happy to see, Mm -hmm. but Okay, but we're kind of off the beaten path. Let's do La Bolsa. Let's do the headlines. Amiel, what's your first headline for me? So, I mean, my first one is, um, I mean, I don't know if I have a snappy headline for it, but I think it's about Martin Braithwaite and how it's, isn't it funny how when some of the rumors die down for a minute and all the chatter isn't about how you're expendable and you're not good enough for your job and you need to be shipped out, you know, like you can just go out and play a, play a really good game. You know, I mean, he he was a good striker. Like, he he played fantastically yesterday. And, you know, again, it's... I realize we, we have all these small sample sizes and there's going to be temptations to kind of overreact and get a little, a little giddy about the things that go super well. But he played yesterday with a lot of energy. He was in the right place, you know, at the right time. And he was aggressive, but he was also, you know, kind of... He was distributing the ball he 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 played an excellent game i mean he played you know there was a, there was other crosses that he played in you know in in addition to the one that that got the fourth goal that you know there was a couple where just nobody was home you know no one made the runs but but the ball was just you know right in the in that danger area so i mean he looked very very encouraging for for my money the fluidity of that front three was something that I said I was excited for and something that looking at the heat maps did come to fruition. And Martin Brothway was a part of that. We were reminded that he can play on the wing. He did well yeah. for Denmark on the wing. 
And mm-hmm. his heat map said that he wasn't even a traditional number nine, that he was on the left, on the right at times in buildup. Mm-hmm. And it is telling, though, that Martin Brothwaite started because I think Ronald Koeman also reinforcing this idea is that by giving Ray Minaj a spot in the squad and a number 14 mm-hmm. shirt, it does indicate to you that A, Sergio Aguero might never be healthy and might mm-hmm. even be gone in January. That's one. Yeah. But two, that Ronald Koeman does want a number nine. He does want some kind mm-hmm. of striker, some kind of poacher, some kind of player up there. Not even because Martin Brothwaite is, again, a guy that's going to hold the ball up. Because I think Memphis and Griezmann mm-hmm. actually hold the ball up better. And they yeah. actually are the ones who make runs off of those hold up play a bit better than Brothwaite even. Mm-hmm. But he wants to have someone up top in theory, to be a number nine, to be a poacher, just to put the ball in the back of the net. Because yes. of all the chances that Barca, even without Messi, all the chances that Barcelona will create. And so we'll see if that changes when Fati comes back and kind of does mm-hmm. muddy that a little bit with the other uh, top-level talent. But I think that Barca are hedging their bets about Brothwaite. Uh, and we'll look, I mean, for, I mean, Fati, I mean, even. And we'll see what mm-hmm. happens with returns because I think Barca might know more about his future or his next few weeks and months and season than we do health wise. So there might be something that, again, I, I don't want to get all gloom and doom on it, but no, exactly. But I mean, but it makes sense. I mean, look, all we've seen, we've seen kind of setbacks or, you know, not sort of not a quick bounce back. And, you know, it hasn't been a sort of a steady stream of sort of optimistic and encouraging news. Not that it's been necessarily discouraging, but, you know, what we've heard is usually along the lines of, well, it's going to be a little bit more time rather than his comeback is right around the corner. So I think it's fair to kind of at least operate, you know, kind of reasonably operate in the in the situation that you've been given. Yeah, and I saw that people were saying it's an unpopular opinion that Barcelona should continue to still be shopping Brothwaite, even though he had two goals. He becomes the first player, or first Danish player, let me very much uh, correct that, first Danish player to score two-plus goals in a Liga game since Michael Laudrup did it, unfortunately, for Real Madrid back in 1990s. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's not that many Danish players, so it's not that crazy of a stat. Anyway, the point is, Martin Brathwaite starts the year with a brace. I don't think anybody had that a few weeks ago. They yeah. start the season not always starting, but you know, the unpopular opinion seems to be that a Brathwaite should still be sold, and I completely agree with that. And I don't think that's unpopular. That, as I said uh, earlier in the or last week, that Neto because he's a first string goalkeeper who's mm-hmm. going to have to be a backup again and Brothwaite because he's going to guarantee you between eight and 13 goals, depending on the team and your reliance on him. And yep. uh, there was a third one who now I'm forgetting, but either way, those two in particular uh, at the top of the attack and then the goalkeeping position there too. Oh, Langley was a third one. Yeah. Because Langley is a, I mean, I think a starting center back at most clubs uh, is the elite level of the Champions League starting? No, I just I don't think he is. I don't think he fits the system at Barcelona. We'll get to some of the center backs that do fit that system. But Langley would be the third one that if I'm Barcelona, their financial, as we'll talk about at the end, their financial picture has not changed. They're still in trouble. And those are the three that I think are not untouchable like Pedri. And I'm, we're not talking mm-hmm. about any player under 24. Those are the players who are in that window where I think they're worth something. And I would continue to feel calls for Brothwaite, Neto, and Langley, especially after... What we've seen in the, uh, well, not necessarily Langley, but what we've seen from Neto and Brothwaite, they should be worth even more after the last two, yeah. three weeks because they've been really good. So you sell high. You have to sell high on those players. I don't think that's, un- I don't think that's unpopular at all. And Barcelona just have to survive and just take that money. No, the one, the one thing that I think is that I'd be tempted to hang on to, I mean, barring a, you know, a, a really good offer, you know, barring a, a sizable offer. I'd be tempted to hold on to Brothwaite until the January window mm. because I think it's like we were talking about with, we don't know where Ansu Fati is at 
Exactly. And, you know, kind of you and I were talking offline, like it still seems not 100% sorted out where Antoine Griezmann, what his, what exactly his role is and where he fits in and how much of that is actually going to be goal scoring and how much of it is based on his kind of his work rate and his distribution and hold up play. So I think uh, Brothwaite might just almost out of necessity get a lot of opportunities to essentially be the number nine and just stuff in a bunch of goals. And that half season could do a lot to to bolster his value. So, I mean, I think, I think there might even be a slightly better sell high opportunity in January if he's coming off of a sort of a really torrid start to the season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. 
Shopify.com slash TBPod. Right. I mean, I spoke about how deep that forward line is supposed to be, and mm. it is. In yeah. And now counting Ray Minaj, and mm. I call for Yusuf Tamir to start. And yep. Martin Brothway is the first team player in that instance. Again, Yusuf Demir, even with Messi gone, you thought that his role might change a lot, but it still could be that the club is going to say, hey, you're still 18. We still don't want to push you into the first team before mm-hmm. you're ready. We're going to leave you with Barca B. And I said the same thing about Balde and Gabi. I think there's still, when mm-hmm. Barca B begins official play in two or three weeks, they'll still be mainstays in the B team. And then they'll impress, they'll earn their opportunities in potentially the spring for FC Barcelona, the first team. So if Demir's still on that path, again, keeping Brothway doesn't lose anything. And then with Ray Minaj, now it seems like for Barca B, he was never in the picture anyway. He was going to be sold. And now Barca's just holding on to him because they, again, they want players who are going to put the ball in the back of the net. You yep. lose 38 goals from, from Lionel Messi in the Liga. And yes, yep. Memphis is going to make up for, we'll say, hopefully a large portion of that. The yes. uh, Ansu Fati returning should make up for a portion of that. But, yep. um, you know, it's easy for me to get to those 38 goals if things go well and if right. players do what they're supposed to. And uh, I was saying that as I transitioned to my first headline about Gerard Piquet, last year he had two goals. Usually he has around four to five. And mm. Piquet to get that first goal, it's not so much about hitting that La Liga numbers goal scored quota. But for mm. me, it's the fact that Gerard Piquet, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't often, because I, I look so much at stats and try to be analytical mm. and try to just, you know, not overblow mm. any particular thing of the heart. It, it, it was telling. And I think we should lean into yeah. the that Gerard Piquet is the heart and soul of this team with, yeah. with Messi gone. And I know he's a bit goofy. He talked about the selfies. He's <laughs> the fact that he was not only willing to take the pay cut. And I think some of it was good PR for him that he took that pay cut at a time when like perfectly timing it, that Memphis and Eric Garcia and Emerson could be, or rather Raymond could be registered. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's the way you want to draw up a narrative that it was the first match without Messi, his class of 1987 teammate, you know, with now Messi gone, it was all about Gerard Piquet saying, Hey, Kool-Aid, you're hurting, I'm hurting. And for me, it really is. We vicariously live through these players. And for yes. PK to say, hey, my this was my friend. You think you're heartbroken. You're, you know, fan yeah. on the world. I'm heartbroken. That was my guy. That was my friend. That was a guy I've known since I was seven, eight years old. Yeah. And, or, or sorry. The, or 12 or 13 or something. Yeah. Came over Argentina. So, I mean, that's my guy. And we're heartbroken. We didn't expect this either. But we will carry on. We will be okay. And I, I, he's not going to score every goal, but for him to get that first goal, a weight was lifted off everybody. Memphis Dubai yes. was able to make his debut quite freely. And I think it's really telling that Memphis also was the one who delivered the free kick. Yes. The guy that, <laughs> that was registered because PK took the pay cut. Um, so there was some kind of narrative enjoyment I've, I got out of it that sometimes we have to make it bigger than the football because all the finances and everything, those are bigger than football. So sometimes yes. the storybook part of it also has to be enjoyable. And I want to actually for a moment, just relish in that emotion because I, we've all been sad. We've all been heartbroken, but PK kind of gave us something to celebrate. They gave us some kind of hope. And that's really what we want to hang on to. I, man, you, you said it. I mean, that was just watching that game yesterday. It was kind of, I mean, I was telling my wife that yesterday's game was sort of an enjoyable free flowing goals or flowing Barcelona game that I don't feel like I've seen in a while. It just, and I think towards the end of last season, there was kind of the the ill-fated push for the title that never came to fruition and this and that, but it always felt like there was some sort of, I don't know, impending issue or some sort of stressor or some sort of black cloud or, you know, that was kind of hanging over, hanging over the team. And there wasn't a lot of like unbridled fun. 
Now, granted, there's still kind of a, there's a lot of impending issues with the finances and this and that and whatever. There's a lot of kind of nonsense, you know, around the club. But at the same time, I feel like it's just gotten so bad that like it's all, all the dirty laundry is out there now. So you could almost sort of innocently enjoy the just basking in this game and that for, for Jared Piquet to, to score the first goal. And yeah, and I mean, for, like you said, for Memphis, who's, I mean, it's not crazy to say, I mean, he's the, he's the best addition to the team, you know, from, from this summer. And on top of that, he's sort of the, the notional messy replacement. And so it was nice that there wasn't kind of a, a barren patch where he starts getting frustrated and pressing or, you know, fans start getting, annoyed and you know whatever just no right off the bat first whatever it was uh what first 20 minutes or whatever it was he inch perfect cross and Jared PK sort of future president PK just buries it and it just for like for that moment it just kind of felt like everything was okay and so it was yeah it was good it was all I mean I do watch sports more I mean I'm very analytical I like the stats and everything like that but when I watch I watch very much just with my heart on my sleeve and that was that was what needed to happen. Like that was that was inch perfect. Yeah. Then he goes on Twitch after the match, calls Anautanas the next Victor Valdez, which uh, <laughs> you know making me look smart because I've said Anautanas no Naki Pena, but I put my faith in Anautanas in the future. He's a little bit sure. undersized, but I mean he's he's got that thing that you want your goalkeeper mm-hmm. to have. I, I don't know what it is. It's just that extra bit of something. Mm-hmm. He's. He's a little bit crazy, just like Victor Valdez. And then on the point of the selfies, he says, everyone asked me about the selfies. Uh, he said he was bored, but then he said the whole Instagram selfie thing is a joke. A teammate the other day told me something about engagements, and I decided to try it out. It's nothing more than that. I saw some reports about some other motive, but no, it's just a joke. And, you know, <laughs> I think for it's interesting because we feel like it's like a midlife crisis that we're watching George PK go through with these selfies. But I also think he is just yeah. a... He's just an incredibly silly guy. Uh, there was a lock in the locker room someday. We go back to his partnership with Puyo that they were they were foils that he and Alves and the, the pranks yeah. were silly. And there was there was Puyo and there was other hard nosed guys in there. And even PK along that back line. Now, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to wait on my next headline. So I want to hear your next one. Then I think we all know what direction I'm going. OK, so I, um, I sort of alluded to this and I want to get your thoughts on it. Sort of the. Um, I guess for a, for a moment, I'm going to downshift with the with the giddiness and, and joy, but more into neutral, not so much negative. But where do you see Antoine Griezmann sort of fitting in here? Because I think I know what we know what we think he's supposed to be. We we know what he was at his at his apex with Atletico Madrid. And, you know, so much of the story when he first arrived in, at Barcelona was you know, can he play with Messi? And there was, you know, all these sort of, you know, the wicked whispers type stuff and, you know, these two can't play together and then they'd have to publicly declare that they could and all of this. So now I feel like with all of that, Griezmann never sort of found whatever his niche was and found what his, wherever his groove was going to be. It does seem like, I think we kind of touched on this recently too. I think it might've been the last, last week. It feels like Memphis has come in with a clearer sense right from the jump of what his role is going to be and how he's planning on attacking his his role at Barcelona. And I still don't know what Antoine Griezmann is and how he's best utilized on this team. Yeah, I mean, the way that I tried to answer that question myself, because I did the mm-hmm. same thing, was again, looking at those heat maps for the front three mm-hmm. and seeing where Antoine Griezmann's position was. And it was telling to me that 
there seemed to be this, not as, as every player kind of created these little Venn diagrams or pockets of space mm. on the field. It was really telling that there was this place about at midfield, just a bit to the right of center where Busquets, oh. De Young, and not Sergino Des because he was way out to the wing, mm. but where Busquets, De Young, and Griezmann kind of all converged. There, mm-hmm. Rafael Willy wasn't in that space often. Pedri was kind of still on the left. But there was this, this little pocket where Griezmann would continue to look for one-twos with De Young. He would look to set up that, that, uh, that cross-field ball. And mm-hmm. I think looking at the performance of Frankie De Young, I mean, he on paper was, I think, the man of the match. I know there was, not on paper, sorry. I, I think advanced metrics say he was a man of the match. As good as Brothwaite was, he got the yeah. results with the two goals and the one assist. And my obviously next headline, I already gave it away, is, is going to be Eric Garcia. But I thought Eric Garcia was great. PK he was and he was also good in the match. But Frank De Young, 71 minutes played, one assist, 40 touches, 31 of 31 on accurate passes, three key passes. That is an important one there. Yep. Two big chances created, one long ball, two for two unsuccessful dribbles, one interception, five duels won, two tackles, and five recoveries. De Young was ever on the field. And of course, a lot of it is credit to uh, his work rate. But Griezmann is going to have to operate partially in the space that Messi is vacating. But he's also Mm going to have to continue to drag defenders so that Sergino Des and Frankie De Young can now exploit that right side. So there's something about losing Messi. Obviously, it was the spaces that he... We always talked about that in kind of the abstract about how when we watched Coutinho, I couldn't point it out. I couldn't draw it on a map for you. But Coutinho was going to get in the way of Messi. We knew that was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. That was my fear about Griezmann, that he was going to try to operate in the same space as Messi. That was a worry. Because Memphis comes in on the left, it was less of a worry. You know, when right. we were talking about him coming in. But now with Messi vacating that space, it seems like to me that Griezmann is going to work hard to try to pull one of those, either the outside back, or if you're going to play a double pivot, back, that being the opposition, mm-hmm. He's, wanting, he's going to always want to try to occupy that other defensive midfielder. And that's yep. going to free up De Young to get more, much more dribbly, where yep. we want him to, you know, we always think of him in his best in Ajax, where he picks it up as this almost a third center back as a libero. And then he mm-hmm. just, he guides it 40 yards by dribbling around these traffic cones. But yep. really where his dribbles are going to come and play this year is working off Griezmann with Dest always contending that fullback out mm-hmm. wide. And then De Young is going to find those spaces not in the half space, but a little bit more inside that flank on that channel in that kind of in that inside space, not on the touchline. And that's where he's going to get his dribbles. That's where he's going to find his space and his success. And that comes because of Griezmann. Griezmann had his two chances in the game. One would have been a scorpion kick that would have blown our eyes out. Um, (laughs) Right. Awesome. But, uh, you know, he's going to get his goals. Occasionally, they're going to come out of nothing. He's not going to get a lot of big chances, if you will. Uh, He also has to convert better than he did last year. He missed a lot of chances last mm-hmm. season, which I think he will finally hit home because he knows that more are coming as opposed to Messi taking all of them. I think he knows that more are going to come to his feet, but yeah. I think because he brought so much out of the young, my point is really more about the young than it is Griezmann, but we have to continue to, and I have to continue to think of football, not as just this player played really well because mm-hmm. players can play great on their own, but also how does Griezmann, who's the ultimate system player, how does he enhance his teammates? And I thought he did a superb job yesterday of enhancing Memphis, Brothwaite, and DeYoung. And that's mm. why they were probably three of the top four players in the game. Sure. And that, that's actually a very, that's a reasonable point. I mean, I've been, um, it's not that I'm fully out on, on Griezmann, but I think it's kind of sort of the, the stuff that we were talking about, the, the, the needing to convert chances and, and things like that. 
have been sort of more front and center in my head. And yeah, so I mean, I do see some of the some of the value that you're talking about. I mean, I think it's yeah, like I I guess like the if this is sort of the long term game plan, then I think you know, like you're saying, if it can be executed that way, and you know, Griezmann's not in the way of either the midfielders or the other attackers, but is kind of able to to play a nuanced style that that sort of complements them both. Then yeah, I mean, I think I do think there's a lot of value there. I mean, I just but that, that's kind of been my my concern just in watching him. I mean, it was from last year. I mean, this season is brand new, and I mean, shoot, it was a it was hard to be mad at anybody after you know after that game yesterday. But uh, it was just kind of my it's been my lingering sort of question and, and concern with uh, with him. But, but do you think we downplay his defensive? I mean, yeah, do we downplay his defensive acumen? Like I saw that they were people tweeting out or people saying that after the two goals came in and it was like what that three minute stretch where Barcelona, they dominated yeah. the entire match. They turned off for three minutes two La Real goals are scored, but yeah. his work rate, I, I we're almost, it's almost become a trope now that it's like, it is oh, yeah. hard work and we don't really conceptualize what that is or contextualize what that is. And people can just say, Oh, the defense is terrible. And you just pin it on center backs or whatever. But Anton Griezmann, yeah works so, so, so hard. And I was really happy to see how hard Memphis works as well. They were cohesively a unit where in the first 18 minutes of that match, 18 minutes, we also see a dad had completed 16 passes. And that is a compliment to all 11 players on the crazy, right? All (laughs) players deserve credit for closing down that space. And I know people like, Oh, they scored the two goals, but don't look at those two goals. That's a team where Kuman Kuman has to say to his team, Hey, you guys turned off for three minutes and that game got interesting, but Barcelona were in second yeah. gear at that point and they didn't want to get hurt and they had done their job already. So and I'm for, too terrible for being not at all. Yeah, I, I agree because I mean, if we're being honest, the, the first goal, yeah, maybe they turned off a little bit and honestly, it was a beautiful goal. I mean, the, yeah. the, the through ball to set it up and everything was just, it was, it was a fantastic goal. And I mean, the second one, the, the ball free kick from free kick. Parts. I mean, it was, a, yeah, I mean, the guy put a laser in the top corner. I mean, it's just, you know, sometimes you just have to tip your cap and just, you know, he's he was far out. Like, you typically don't worry too much when, like, a non-messy player has a, has a free kick that far away from goal. So, I mean, if they're going to make that, you just sort of, sort of tip your cap and, you know, sort of move on. But... Yeah, I agree. I mean, I do think there was maybe a little bit of turnoff for the first goal. And I mean, the second one was just spectacular effort. But so I, yeah, I I agree with that. But I think uh, defensively, yeah, I do think there's a little bit of a trope or we've almost, yeah, it's become sort of a catchphrase. Like it's become part of Anton Griezmann's name. Anton Griezmann, who he of the work rate and just, but we almost, we do kind of gloss over the miles and miles of running and kind of the, you know, you have to chase these lost causes and, you know, just kind of keep doing, just keep doing the work. And he, he does do a lot of thankless work without, I don't know, without sort of making a big deal about it or sort of being a prima donna about it after the fact. So, I mean, in that sense, I, I do think he provides a lot of value in, in that, in that sense. I mean, I think sometimes it's just difficult to, to to reconcile sort of the because you also want him to to score goals you know what i mean it's because these are all these kind of ancillary things we're talking about because if he scores six goals this season or nine goals this season but you know we're not going to be nearly as impressed with the with the defensive work rate and you know and the effort because we'll be saying at the very least like okay like you should at least be doing that but but ultimately 
like you got to put the ball in the net. And that's, that's where I'm, I'm starting to have a little bit of concern with him, but I mean, it's not, I'm not, you know, it's not alarm bells or anything like that. Like he's. No, but I think that's a fair concern because I think you're right that Anton Griezmann is the one player on the team because we go back to his price, Mm -hmm. uh, his price tag. And because Mm -hmm. he, I mean, Coutinho will get so much of this ire, but you're right that because he was such an important part of how they were playing yesterday, we can give him compliments on the fact that those those moves, if you will, or those mm-hmm. progressions ended with Martin Brothwaite scoring two and Gerard Pika got his one on the free kick mm-hmm. and De Young played really, really well. But when it's Champions League time and the bright lights are on and it's a knockout game, there, that being De Young and Brothwaite and PK are not going to be blamed for not putting the ball in the back of the net. Because yeah. again, Brothwaite, we're not expecting for him to be the quality to put it in the back of the net in the a Champions League knockout round, right? Exactly. Yeah. It come down to Antoine Griezmann, yeah. right? And those are the nights when, in the same thing we did the last few seasons with Luis Suarez, especially on the road, that you said, yeah. Luis Suarez, you're the you're the number nine, like you're the guy who's we're paying you to score goals, like you're the guy to yeah. score the goal. And so the, the ire came on him. And on the times that Messi didn't score the goals, we always look back and say, hey, he scored a lot of Champions League goals. He was always yeah. the hero. But on the times that he didn't come up, certainly the rest of the world was saying, hey, Memphis, I mean, uh, Messi, once again, in this instance, kind of choked in this big moment. And so you're right that when mm-hmm. Barca is winning and crushing teams in the Liga, we give compliments to Griezmann, his work rate and how he fits into that system. But when the Champions League, because of the fanfare and because the global audience is watching, it becomes about the individuals and the individuals yes. are to blame and the individuals then also get the credit. So yeah. it's going to come time. You're right. When the matches get big and the lights get brightest, if Memphis and Griezmann wilt, that is when the ire is really going to come down upon them. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree about yeah. the, the Griezmann point. And it's all about how we shape the narrative around him. Yeah. And another narrative that yeah. I <laughs> here, Eric Garcia, I, I, it's one match in it's funny. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. Mm. I very rarely, I don't argue on Twitter. I, I kind of mm. keep to myself and I take notes. I take tabs and mm. people don't even argue with me. I, it's me with a straw man. But mm-hmm. this man is somebody who, I mean, there was so much Eric Garcia hate beforehand. We, we as Kool-Aid got gassed <laughs> by Man City fans into saying that he was washed up and he was 20 years old, and he, but he just wasn't fast. He didn't have yeah. it. He just, his understanding of the game, he was just behind it defensively. And yeah, he passed the ball and that's great. And isn't it nice that a, a guy can play with a ball to his feet, but a lot of players can do that. But he yeah. does that an elite rate. His ball playing is elite. And then his defensive awareness is as much as he cannot win in a full sprint uh, against a lot of players, his defensive awareness and his positioning. I was going to say his positioning is good. I, can I can I read the stats or I'll I'll give you your thoughts. Do it, yeah. No, go for it. But no, I mean I, I think what I do like about him is, and there's a certain kind of breed of basketball player that kind of fits into this is sort of the the the, the guy that doesn't necessarily none of his measurables sort of jump off the screen at you. Like he's not he's not particularly he's not the most powerful guy. Like he's not the fastest. He doesn't jump the highest or you know anything. But it's just having a knack for understanding sort of where to drift to and whether it's having a nose for the ball or having a, a nose for where the opposition is going to go. You know what, you know what vibes I'm getting NBA. Yeah. I'm getting like 2008, 2009 Rajon Rondo vibes. I'm not a big Rondo Ooh. fan and I'm, okay. always, I'm kind of down on the Celtics, but yeah, I'm getting like early Rajon Rondo young in that Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, yeah. you know, just being that complimentary piece as well. But could he shoot? Never. But play defense, was he always in the right spot? Was he always making the right decisions? 
So that, that, I mean, that he was super that. smart. Yeah, like he thinks the game and he he understands the game in a way where he doesn't have to sprint as often because he's kind of drifted to the right place three seconds or five seconds earlier. So he doesn't have to sort of bust a gut to, you know, to, to make up that, that turf. Cause he took a couple of strides to his left or to his right, sort of when no one was paying attention. Yeah. I'm going to use hyperbole here. The partnership between Eric Garcia and Gerard Piquet is, is good, but the partnership that we saw at the Euros between Garcia and Sergio Busquets, I think is great. I really enjoy the fact that those two, I know it's two players you think mm-hmm. on paper are slow. They positionally yeah. best out of each other. And we go all the way back to the days of Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta when they were constantly closing down lanes. It seems like Garcia knows where he needs to be behind Busquets. And I think they support each other so, so well. And that's the same point with Pedri right in front of him. So now mm-hmm. you have, even though that was Garcia playing as the right center back, you have this kind of almost a, a pseudo diagonal line from Garcia, Busquets, and Pedri, where everybody yeah. seems to always be in the right position when the ball is turned over. And when the ball is turned over, it's all about getting it back. It's all about getting it back as quickly as possible. But if you're not going to get it back on that very first pass or the second pass out of pressure that the opposition is trying to convert, then you have to make sure that you're already in the right spot to cut out a counterattack. And what I like about left foot be damned, because while Lang Lang and Titi are the left footed center backs, playing PK on the left allows him to use his, and I do say this, still superior defensive recognition of where he needs to be on, on the counterattack, allows him to use his abilities in the air. And now basically replacing what Langley was giving you as being the center back that was going to step two on the counterattacks, replacing that with PK is positive because with Garcia, yes, he doesn't have the, the snuff out danger of Ronald Araujo and he could be, yes, Garcia could have issues with the Mbappes of the world or with the Neymars mm. of the world. And it is telling that all those players are on the same freaking three teams. So right. I'm not worried about that because how many teams are, when is that really going to happen? Unless you're in the, the semifinal, the quarterfinal, the Champions League. But yeah. yes, he's going to have trouble with speedier forwards. But that's why you also have Ronald Araujo, who seems to be ready for prime time and playing at a top level. And so to have both PK, well, not by both, but all three of Araujo, Garcia, and 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 PK, even though they're all three right-footed, I'm not too worried because Garcia, he was two of two on his ground duels yesterday, only one of three on aerial duels. So expect that number basically the whole time. He always seems to anticipate well on the ground. And yeah, in the air, it's 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 not so great. 76% passing accuracy, one key pass as well. It led mm-hmm. to the the second goal that De Young was able yeah. to get to assist on. Two block shots. His block shots, I thought, showed a lot of what how he, as you said, he drifts into the position, and then he does have a quick enough first step to, to close down that space quickly. And then mm-hmm. he had three clearances as well, 86 touches in the 83 minutes. I could not have been happy with Eric Garcia, and it makes a lot of sense to me with PK. PK has become a leader, but Eric Garcia is a leader. At 20 years old, you already see it. He is yeah. a he's a I mean, the the reason why Neto, I thought Neto was good with the ball at his feet and playing out of pressure. And a lot of that is because of Eric Garcia. There was already mm. an inherent trust with two guys that have never played together between Neto and Eric Garcia mm. that gave Neto the green light to take chances, knowing that Barcelona were going to win, win those 50-50 balls back and that the defensive setup was, was properly placed so that they could avoid the counterattacks. So I was very, very happy with the way that Eric Garcia not only fit into that system, but it seems like Kuman already knows how to get the best out of him. And I, I completely understand why he started. And I think Araujo should start the next one. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay to rotate. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. There's, I mean, ideally, there's going to be a lot of games. And <laughs> ideally, you're going to need to rotate a little bit. You know, if you go 
hopefully the the La Liga games matter deep into the season, you know, and hopefully there's some sort of a Champions League run and it doesn't have to be the semifinal or the final, but, you know, those games are going to add up and, you know, the Copa del Rey, there's plenty of minutes, there's plenty of football to go around for, for these guys. And also, I mean, I think the season is an excellent opportunity too to get an idea of, you know, I mean, Garcia looked fantastic yesterday. And so we know that that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's like a, that's a really positive data point. And so the, the more of those we can kind of put together, but it's also good to know what do you have in Araujo and just how, do, how does he fit? And, you know, I'll, I'll be interested too when some of the, especially when some of the young guys start getting like kind of mixed and matched together because you get a sense of when, there, when there's not sort of a, a veteran guiding hand. So when there's not a, if there's not a PK or a Busquets immediately on hand to tell them what to do. How do they kind of do that? And, and kind of to your point, I think uh, Garcia is a good steady hand in that he seems to kind of think slowly. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like he he seems to kind of see the game in a, you know, relatively slowly and kind of understand how it's unfolding. And he doesn't get he doesn't seem to get flustered. And so it's it's a very encouraging sign. I mean, I, I really enjoyed I enjoyed his work as well very much. Yeah. And so instead of being mean to people and saying like, hey, I remember mm-hmm. if you were one of the ones that was down on mm-hmm. Eric Garcia, I will say that there's an invitation on, on Eric Garcia Island or on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. There is an invitation for everybody. So you can join me on the bandwagon. <laughs> uh, you already got a head start because you got to see him in the Liga in that first one, have a great match. But uh, yeah, that is a hill that I'm willing to die on. Uh, for, for players, there are hills that I'm willing to die on. I do know I picked not, I don't have favorites, but there are, there are hills I'm willing to die on. This is certainly a hill that I'm willing to die on. But I, I think, too, for the big picture, the, so the macro, it's a 4-2 mm-hmm. win, good vibes. You're able to, again, begin the post-Messi era with some fanfare. And the, the fans yep. certainly helped. And I think it might have been a different result even without those 20,000 fans uh, when that free kick went in. And I think the fans yeah. kind of did kind of remind them. I mean, PK was... I, I know we kind of make it like the players are the players and the fans are the fans, but the players do feed off... The, the crowd sometimes. And it, it's important yeah. for FC Barcelona players who are expected to do everything right all the time and be perfect, that they need sometimes the fans to kind of push them over the edge too. And that's good to see. And so the big macro picture about La Liga is that not proving it yesterday, but I think it's kind of proven in the preseason and we're seeing it yesterday that there's a reason why Sid Lowe and Sam Marsden chose and other pundits chose a, the Barcelona to win the Liga this year, why they think that it is a two horse race between Atleti and Barca with Real Madrid being in third. There's a reason why the pundits did that is because Barca is deep. Barca has a system that they already understand a second year manager, a lot of young talent, still some veterans that do a good job. And it's interesting to me that once again, while off the field, everything, because now we're going to transition talking about the Laporta press conference where we talked about money and it was really sad. So while everything (laughs) off the field is still shrouded in darkness and and pain. And when I say losses, I mean, financial losses, everything on the field might be okay. And for a long time, the success on the field was papering over all the negativity off the field. And it seems like negativity off the field has hit a, a breaking point where there's nothing, it's going to constantly be affecting what's happening on the field. But if the on the field product can win, despite all the things that we now know very transparently about the finances, I, I mean, they can still win the Liga if they can just the players are paid to play. And I know totally. that they might be getting a free ride, but they're paid to play. And if they're going to win matches, 
there. This is a squad that's good enough to win the Liga and contend for the Liga. So don't start with the Champions League just yet, but at least yeah. the Liga, they've shown that they could be the best team in Spain. And if you're the best team in Spain, that gives you an opportunity to win the Champions League. You've got a puncher's chance, yeah. And I mean, I think the... I think these are two points that we've kind of that you and I have talked about. And I think, you know, Messi leaving was just such a such a body blow. And it just took so much wind out of everybody's sails. But I think last time, you know, last week when you and I spoke, where we sort of landed, or it might have been two weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, running through the the squad and what the squad should look like. You know, you do ultimately land on a place where it's brutal that Messi's gone, but this is not a team that's bereft of talent or completely like there are no bare cupboards. Sure. Maybe you could use a little bit of, you know, extra depth or, you know, a little bit more clinical finishing or whatever, but those are, those are tweaks, but it's, it's not a, it's not a team that's totally bereft of talent. And so the notion of them, and, and I do think there's going to be a certain freedom of them, freedom for them playing because, you know, Messi being gone, I think, and all the negativity around the, you know, kind of the finances that's just kind of very publicly spoken about all the time now it's alleviated all the pressure. You know I mean? There's just very little, almost nothing you can do. You know, no mistake that you make is going to, you know, make the situation markedly worse. And counterintuitively, I think it's just allow, it's going to allow them to play with a certain freedom that, because you never get to be the underdog as Barcelona. Like mm-hmm. Barcelona is never the plucky underdog. Like they're never sort of counted out and, you know, things like that. So I think there, there is a certain freedom to that. And, I think it's also sort of, I touched on it earlier, and I think I just sort of touched on it right now, was there's so much kind of negativity with the, you know, the the retellings of the old Bartomeu stuff and the finances and this and that. The, there is no bad news that's going to make it worse. And I think that becomes very freeing as well, where you're just, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to play the game. If unfortunately, you know, God willing, we don't make any horrible mistakes and lose the game, but the stakes have been elevated outside of the club. Like just the balance sheet stakes have yeah. gotten so big that no one sort of the, the pitchforks aren't going to be out for us, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it makes our job a little harder because we know that in Kuman, they keep saying it incessantly that he wants a center striker. He wants one of the yeah. top. I mean, they're really only about what, six, seven elite strikers in world football and mm-hmm. Barcelona don't have one of them, but nope. there's 25 clubs that think that they deserve to have one of those seven. So yeah. that means that those seven cost a lot, a lot, a lot. And Lewandowski is even on the on the downward of his. I put Cristiano Ronaldo in that number, and he's obviously expensive and not a player that can be moved everywhere. So you're right. talking very, very few young number nines even that are yeah, it's like it's... available that for, for any financial thing. So for us, it hurts yeah. content-wise because, yeah, I mean, how many clicks do we get every summer, every winter, right? For this player yeah. is going to come to Barca. We're going to build the perfect squad. We're going to whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever. And now there's a full understanding that, and Laporta said in his press conference today that he's up for the job of, of trying to get rid of that debt, which we'll go over in a second. And he predicts the club can be back on its feet in 18 to 24 months. That's two years. So I mean, he said in yeah, months, yeah. but that's two years, basically, that uh, it's, it's going to feel like a self-appointed transfer ban because Barcelona just won't be able to break the bank for anybody uh, for almost two years. That's almost an admittance of that. And yeah. things could go well, things could go their way but there's just so many problems behind the scenes that have to be done. So the, the good news is the players who are at the club are ideally because you'd hope that the club isn't going to get into worse shape, right? How could they get right. into worse shape? So in theory, the players who are at the club now are the ones who will be at the club. So get familiar with the players you have 
because those yep. are the ones that could win for the next two years. And because there's so many young players that, you know, I talked about on Friday and we talked about every week, there's so many young players who can get better that if you get a bunch of those young players getting better then this Barca squad that could win the Liga could be a team that improves. And so all the growth will have to come internally. And yes. that means that we don't get to uh, talk about Erlen Holland all the time. And we don't get to talk about the next young player that's now only 18 that's going to burst on the scene mm-hmm. from in whatever division he comes from. Yeah. Um, and we're just going to be moving forward. So yeah, respond. And then I want to just... What, what is actually really cool about that? And because I do agree with you. I mean, I don't think... I mean, certainly not big names. I mean, I don't think... And also, I mean, 18 to 24 months for the, we'll talk about the the figures and sort of the the level of the, the financial turmoil in a second, but, you know, 18 to 24 months is, I think that assumes a little bit that things go well, you know, like you, you need to catch some breaks to, to dig out of this hole within two years. But I mean, I think, you know, at least within eight to 18 to 24 months, hopefully they'll just be in a position where they can start doing normal business again. But one kind of, Interesting thing, and one very cool thing that I think could emerge from this, whether it's two years, three years, whatever, of no megastar signings. If this club, you know, if this side, whether it's this year, if they if they contend late or, you know, capture La Liga or they win the Copa del Rey or, you know, they even just go on a sort of just an uplifting Champions League quarterfinal run. I think what's going to happen over this two to three year period is you're going to get guys who these guys are going to become the face of the Barca team that fought through this mm-hmm. financial hell, essentially. Yeah. And you will get the, the guys who perform the most and, you know, put in the biggest performances in the biggest moments or whatever, create those moments. Those dudes are going to be icons, you know, like they will be sort of local and kind of club legends yeah. in a way that well, it, it's, it's shabby. You know, a lot of opportunities haven't, existed for guys it, it's Xavi and Puyol in 2002 2003 2004 yeah. when they were making their debuts Barcelona were finishing fifth sixth in the Liga they mm-hmm. were in their we were in our that's say the dark days in yeah of history before Frank Reichardt and Ronaldinho shows up and they were able to get out of that mess but yeah mm-hmm. the the mess that Nunez left in his wake as the Porta came in in 03 was a, a bad bad place and it feels very similar to where the club is now and uh, that's yeah. not even and not even financially, but just the where the club's expectations are. And yet, unlike that time period where the talent just wasn't there to finish in the top three in the mm. Liga, it's mm. uh, the talent is there to finish yes. potentially in the top three. And I, yeah, the numbers here, Barcelona's gross debt risen to one point three billion. That's with a B. Uh, then the club accounts show a loss of four hundred eighty one million euros from last season. The revenue was six hundred fifty five million coming in and outgoing. It was one point three six billion. So he says that, that being Laporta, coronavirus only to blame for 91 million of the losses. So the yeah. excuse that was COVID, Juan Laporta is up front saying, I know other clubs are complaining about COVID, but we're not complaining about COVID. We're actually complaining about the things that my previous regime did. The things that Laporta yeah. did is why we're in this mess. And the numbers here that to break it down to make those numbers a little more understandable. To the initial debt of 617 million, there is... 389 million on players to be added to that. So again, we start with 617 euros, 389 million on players, 90 million on litigation, on litigation, meaning all the different lawsuits and all the different zonal issues and blah, 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 blah. 79 million in advance television rights that that were asked for and came in early. 
and then $56 million from the for the SBI Barca project that was already planned out in the budget and all those things. And that continued on because, yeah. again, you have construction, you have all these different things that cannot be halted due to contracts being signed and they have to go yeah. forward with that regardless of losses. So in total, that's when we get to $1.35 billion. Now, the biggest issue is the one we keep going back to. Laporta said that Barca's wage bill, which had reached an unsustainable 103% of the club's income. He put that on the feet of the previous board, which obviously it's on them. Obviously, there's 103% of the club's income on the wage bill. How is that mathematically possible, Emil, other than being impossible? I mean, it's, I mean, it is, it really is living beyond your means. I mean, it's kind of the, it's living on the credit cards. And I don't know every sort of financial game that the previous regime played to, somehow managed to kind of stack all these gargantuan salaries on the same on the same club. Now I know also the you know the the year or two prior to COVID revenue was much higher. There was there was gate revenue, you know, there was gate receipts, there was tourism in Barcelona and people buying messy shirts and Barca scarves and you know all of all that stuff and going to going to tour the stadium and the and the museum and all that stuff. So I don't know how much Exactly. They've, they've sort of lost from that. The fact that it's, I mean, obviously you don't, when you're a brand like Barcelona, I mean, I guess you don't factor in the global pandemic that might completely, you know, sort of kneecap your business. But I mean, to be at, you're paying more in wages than is coming in. That assumes, that leaves no money to do anything else, like to pay the janitors and to, to paint, you know, to paint a wall that might be damaged or stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely staggering. And to me, it, 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 my analogy would be, it's, it's like me, I mean, here living uh, in a pretty dense populated area, it'd be like mm-hmm. me buying a big pickup truck where I'm going to have a hard time parking it. And how much actual stuff do I put in the bed of that truck? Right? Like for, if I bought a $120,000 pickup truck, I know that I'm never going to make good on that pickup truck. I know that when the minute it leaves the, the lot, that the value of the truck is going to depreciate the minute I purchase it. So I'm not going to be able to resell it for that value, Coutinho. Then you know, am I ever going to get, again, am I ever going to get enough work out of that pickup truck where it's going to make sense to make that kind of investment? So, I mean, I can make that calculus just by going to the lot and going, huh. This doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> where I live and the situation that I'm in and financially what I should be spending on this doesn't make any sense. So the last two things here to, again, so much of it goes on Bartomeu. You continue to put the ire on where that was. Well, and that, you- That's always the question that I keep coming back to is the sense of what was the plan? And I know to a large extent, there kind of wasn't one. It was essentially try to win each press release with something and... But there, there was it was completely sort of indiscriminate, indiscriminate spending. Well, I think and... I think it's ineptitude to the position where Bartimeu he got his money by you know when you're on an airplane and there's that little between the terminal and the plane there's that little tube that tunnel that you go oh the jetway yo like the jetway yeah that way that is where <clears throat> money comes from that is where Bartimeu's fortune yeah. is made right so you're putting the face of FC Barcelona one of the largest brands in the world. I mean, just brands yeah. in the world. It's so recognizable. That crest, the, the, the crest, it's so recognizable. And you're putting that in charge of an individual whose entire expertise yeah. and understanding of the world is airplane tunnels. And, well, and even, his, uh, even his sporting background when he was a Barca board member, um, 
his specialty was, I think, handball and basketball. Basketball, right? Yeah. So yeah, so it's even in the even in the realm of sports, this is not the sport that he knows best. Mm-hmm. It's generously we'll say in the top three, but that's yeah, yeah that's it's yeah, wild. Two things here. Yeah, I mean, Laporte uh, had also mentioned for some, it's only eight million. We'll say of the problem, but he said eight million was paid for a South American scout, and then we went back and you know thinking about mm-hmm. the Americans that were brought in: Malcolm, Yuri Mina, Emerson, Mateus Fernandez, Marlon Douglas, Ron Araujo. Gabriel Neves, Bettino, Gustavo Mai, some of those names, the last three being Barca B, were surprised yep. me just to remember then the, the fees that were paid for them. So that whole list, and yes, it's like current, present day, but Emerson and Ron Araujo, the two that are still left at the club, are the only ones that make any sense to me. I know Malcolm was fine, Malcolm was good, but Malcolm was also 40 million at a time yeah. when Barca had a bunch of other wingers. So, I mean, there were, there were, it was puzzling when he was even brought in at the time, and then I think he made good on what he yeah. But he just, again, it was a transfer that was puzzling because of yes. the, oh, the inflated prices of Brazilians. Yep. Now, the, the only other one that I kind of, uh, I was, and I mean, I think to a certain extent still am, or at least still kind of harbor positive feelings for is, uh, I always liked Gary Mina. But um, so, I mean, and so he didn't, you know, I don't remember exactly what he cost, but he wasn't one of these like break the bank type signings. But yeah, I mean, that's, so they just paid the scout eight million, right? And then for the privilege of then forking over all this other cash to, yeah, I mean, and I know, like you said, it's in the context of the numbers that we're that we're talking about, sort of the big picture. It's like you know, I'm almost relieved that it's only eight million that you know the that this hit is, but wait, but then scouts were yeah. let go. Oh, I know, weren't being paid. That's what then happened. At yeah, January. When Barcelona restructured everything and just as Bartomeu was on his way out, they got rid of a bunch of scouts yeah. and they still have to pay those contracts in full later yeah. on that were then terminated. So that didn't, they didn't solve any problem. And so no. where we quick Emil is Laporta. The one thing that he hasn't done properly, I think that people really got on him about is the transparency. And now with players saying okay. so, mm-hmm. said that he was just told about reducing his wages a few weeks ago. And obviously Laporta has said that it was, you know, from the start, there were things that had to happen. I'm getting the sense from hearing what Laporta is saying. And even from the players that I know he said that Messi was, he was part of his campaign. He helped him get elected, mm-hmm. but we do truly get the sense. And I think it's fair if a lot of Kool-Aid can't forgive Laporta for this, but there was no way, even if, again, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here. There was no way, even if all of those players had taken salary reductions, right? Even if they had independently mm. lowered the wage bill, it sounds like all the other depths even would have not allowed FC Barcelona, regardless of the Liga. It sounds yeah. like Barcelona's individual financial issues were not going to allow Messi to resign. And that was a decision that had to be made. The decision had to be made. And Laporta decided to kind of muddy the waters instead of be transparent and be the bad guy. And to say, right. because obviously... What president says, I am going to choose the financial, even because that's the thing, fans, you can say the numbers and we said the numbers, but fans, they don't internalize it. And they just, they don't care. It's not their money. They don't. Right. And you could say this about the, the foreign president, that it wasn't their money. It was the club's money. And that's why they yeah. made they did. But because it's not the fan's money, if you're a president and you go out and say, I'm, I have to choose us, we, we might go bankrupt or we might not, but I have to choose you know, the financial future of the club over Lionel Messi. I, I know on paper, because he's gone, we said that, oh, you know, we would have supported that, but Kules would not have supported that. No, no. way. 
any president that says Lionel Messi has got to go, and yet you still have Coutinho and Mtt and, right. and even Busquets and Roberto, right? That if those players are still around and Messi is gone, there's no way that anybody would have said you did enough. No way. Yes. And I think because Laporta wasn't more transparent, now he's getting the ire of he's basically getting the response and result of as if he had done that from the beginning, right? Because he's yes. been honest about yeah. what was truthfully going on. Like my, the impression that I get of the whole thing, because I agree with you. I mean, when you now sort of, I understand that there was a certain element of, you know, kind of forensic accounting that had to be done after the elections. So, you know, Laporta won the election and it was after Barto and friends were out of the building that they brought in, I believe they even brought in external auditors and they just had an internal audit team kind of fine tooth comb all the accounts and all the, all the numbers and everything. So I understand to one point that the these numbers are worse than what was what was assumed and anticipated during the election. So that's that's fair. That's that's reasonable. Fine. You didn't know. Okay. the The only other thing that I can think of is once you did know the extent of the problems, because I agree. Once you know the extent of the problems, and you know that under sort of under under the law, under the rules. Lionel Messi can only take a 50% pay cut. And even when you do those numbers, that still leaves you needing to chop another, what was it, like another 100 million in, in payroll. So you have to know that that's not going to work. I mean, unless you can find some sort of miracle plan to simultaneously both recoup transfer fees and just clear the decks of like, Dembele, Coutinho, and Griezmann's wages, like that just simply wasn't going to happen. That was completely... That, though, we had the numbers. The numbers were made public. So yeah. part of it is on us, even as Kool-Aid, for believing that there was still hope. And I know it's hard when your president says that there's still hope, and that's why people are frustrated with him. Because Dermot McCorgan of the Athletic, yeah. there were people around the club who were just, who actually, it's their job. They're paid to look at those, uh, look at those numbers yeah. from a journalist's perspective. And so he's putting it like I'm reading articles in Athletic saying, hey, everybody, Messi's it's not going to work. And he was saying that for months and months and months. And it's not that yes. I didn't see him. It's that Laporta was saying that it would work. And obviously, we don't want to come to that reality before we have to. And so it, that's why exactly. I, I agree with that. And he, I think there's one last point. Yeah. And I think there's one last point, which is kind of. And I think this was where the I allowed myself to sort of wishful think a little bit, and also just understanding the was it Sid Lowe in, in uh, Fear and Loathing in La Liga, the uh, yeah, Sid Lowe. Uh, Barca Barca Real Madrid, yeah. And um, so the description of uh, Juan Laporta, I think there's one sentence where he's described as a lawyer by trade and a politician by nature, and so I think there was I think there was a sense, and I sort of I bought into it a little bit myself that. Maybe there's a way that they're going to broker this and some kind of backroom deal, whether it's with La Liga, with creditors, with other clubs, as far as sort of wink, wink or handshake agreements to allow us to offload in, you know, wage, uh, wages when we need to right now, we'll kind of, we'll get you when we're in a healthier spot or something like that, or simply just some kind of a dispensation saying that, Yes, the rules still apply, but it's messy. It's Barcelona. We're not going to, we're not going to drive a wedge between, in, you know, into this relationship. That was the only thing that I, th I thought that there was some sort of, 
you know, there was some sort of cavalry that would, that would come over the mountain and uh, it seemed like it would. And then until it very much didn't. <laughs> right. And I mean, and now we know that Laporta said it's potentially, and we're, we're again, again, going to try to believe this, that it's going to be 18 to 24 months until they're out of the woods. And so for Laporta, he almost had himself, he almost set himself a, a timeline for saying, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I'm not going to get a vote of no confidence. You know, the messy thing, it was obviously uh, heartbreaking, but so much of that blame is pinned on those who came before me. Yeah. So if he survives this and there's no vote, of, it seems like there's not going to be a not a, a vote of no confidence because I think yeah. everybody understands that Bartomeu got them in that mess and he's the one who got yeah. the, the, the well, who, who are you going to replace him with? Two years to basically make good on it. And yeah. we'll see the club is in two years. Yeah, exactly. Because also that's the thing. I mean, why would you bring a vote of no confidence against, I mean, unless you are a hardcore Bartomeu loyalist, why would you bring a vote of, if, if you're um if your priority is in any way the actual sort of health and well-being of the club itself, be upset at Laporta. I understand he hasn't handled everything ideally. In some cases, he might have handled things poorly. But to to kind of add more upheaval to a situation that desperately needs stability and sort of clear thinking, no, I mean, Laporta won the election. Laporta's the president. And for better and for worse, he's he's got the opportunity to sort of hack his way out of the, out of the rough here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, yeah, I'll continue to support him because he's the president of FC Barcelona. (laughs) That's, and that's, that's the way this is. So I think that'll wrap it up. We've said all we have to say. We want to thank you for still sticking with us. We're on Twitter and Instagram, you know, at the Barcelona pod, close Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast, ask the questions, get in the group, but then Patreon is how you help me to continue to make these shows. And I do appreciate all our new patrons over there. And on YouTube, I've been doing the, the five things I learned. I don't, it's not going to happen every match. And it'll be a few hours after the match, but I'll see what I do as far as match review content. But it seems like people are enjoying those over there. So make sure you check that on the YouTube. Give us a like, subscribe, and all that stuff to help that keep going. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com